you remain standing now as we read God's word together, uh, these words from the Gospel of Matthew. Let us read these words together. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went and look. The star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. It's exciting. It's an exciting time, right? We are in a season of Advent as we prepare our hearts and our minds for Christmas, for the birth of Christ. And there's this temptation in all of us. There's this fear that, that we might miss it. We might miss it. Because we, as adults, have become ingrained in patterns. I don't know if you've ever noticed this phenomenon that happens, uh, maybe like when you're driving um, and it's, you're going to a place that you've gone to a lot, right? You've been to that place really often. And, and when you reach your destination, when you finally get there, you think back and you can't remember the drive, right? You, has this ever happened to you? Uh, yeah, right? That's because our brains have become accustomed to patterns, Right? And so whenever our brain notices a pattern, when it notices something where it can guess the next sequence, our brain knows that it can go on kind of this autopilot, right? this kind of autopilot. So now that we've established a pattern, we can kind of go on autopilot, and, and our brain doesn't have to work as much. This is what our brains as adults do. And I think it not only happens in these kind of details, but it happens in the cycles of our life as well. That I think there's this temptation in all of us to fall into the pattern of Christmas. There's this temptation in all of us to fall into the pattern of Christmas, and um, this is what I think right here, that, that the pattern of Christmas is a routine that we create around the holidays that prevents us from experiencing wonder. And I think this pattern starts right around, you know, 1 p.m. on the Thursday of Thanksgiving, right? That, that, you know, finally Thanksgiving is over, you know, or our family is over, and, and we've kind of gone into that euphoria, right, of having just a stomach completely full. And, and in that moment, we begin to realize, right, Christmas is coming. You know, it, it's on its way. And, and so maybe there's this immediate panic, or this immediate shock that we feel. And then a couple of weeks later, after we've kind of gotten over the shock, maybe we've even done some Christmas shopping, we've gotten those things out of the way that we needed to get out of the way, and after we've done that, we maybe have this thought, this thought that, you know what, this Christmas ought to be different. You know, we've done the same thing every year, and you know, it, it really hasn't been the way I think it was supposed to be, and, and you know what, we ought to just do something special this Christmas. And then inevitably, the next two weeks happen right? And our schedules get busier, and we've got to, you know, make all of those meetings, get everything done before the end of the year, and, you know, we're trying to get together with friends and family, and our schedules get jam-packed full of all those things, and that special thing that we planned on doing never happened, right? That, that thing that we wanted to do never happened because of the pattern that we become ingrained in. That, that many of us, if we fall into this pattern of Christmas, will miss it entirely, and so for the next uh, few weeks, we're going to be talking about the wonders of Christmas. The wonders of Christmas. And, and I'm going to invite you to consider experiencing Christmas for the first time. 
right? Imagine, think back to Christmas when you were a child. You know, as I said earlier, The Muppets Christmas Carol is my favorite Christmas movie, and it was something I watched as a kid. And maybe you have movies like that or memories like that from when you were a child and experiencing Christmas, and there was something special about it, right? Because there was still this wonderment. There was still this awe that we had for Christmas because we didn't have that pattern yet. In fact, children are, are, are built to not see patterns, and that most of the things they see, they're seeing for the first time, right? If you've ever seen a child walk on a tile floor, you know, they walk with their head down, right? Because they're seeing this thing that our brains have tuned out. Our brains said we don't need to look at that, and they're seeing these patterns for the first time. That, that I would invite you to consider, what would it be like to experience Christmas for the first time this year? What would it be like to get rid of our patterns, to do something that breaks us out of that so that we might be able to experience the wonder that is Christmas? So for the next several weeks, we'll be talking about, you know, what is this wonderment and how does God intersect into our life? And today we're going to talk about how God intersects in this star. In the seemingly mundane, minute details of our life, God intersects, God comes to us. But we have to break out of those patterns to see it. And we're not the only ones who fall prey to this, right? In fact, people for centuries and millennia have been been uh, privy to, to patterns and, and fallen to these, um, these patterns of over and over and over again. What we read of in the book of Matthew is of King Herod, right? Herod was a bad guy. If you were in the ancient Near East, when anytime his name was mentioned, there would be booing and hissing, right? That Herod established a pattern of fear and competition. Herod was not a good guy, he, he was a Roman king who was raised in a Jewish household, and he was appointed king of the Jews uh, by the Roman Senate in 40 BC. He was appointed king of the Jews when he took over Jerusalem from the Hasmoneans. Um, by military overthrow, he brought a military in, by brute force took back the Jewish temple, and at that moment, by the Roman Senate, he was appointed king of the Jews. Uh, a little bit later, he begins construction on the second temple, uh, the first one had been destroyed, and he believed that his name was going to be known through all of the buildings, all the monuments that he could erect for himself, right? Herod was one of these people that believed that he would live on forever through all of these projects that he had started, and the temple was one of those things. And he started this construction. It wasn't, it wasn't finished until 62 A.D., but, but Herod's one of the people who established this pattern of fear and competition so much so so much so that he killed his wife and his two sons to protect his throne. That, that he feared that they would try to remove him, and so he killed his wife and his two sons, all because he's established this pattern of fear and competition. Herod was a, a, a bad guy. Just to give ourselves some visualization of who this is, we have this uh, sketch from antiquity here. Um, this is uh, King Herod. He gets later called King Herod the Great. Uh, here we have a painting of Herod um, from the 1400s. Uh, this is the taking of Jerusalem. You can see the temple there in the background. Uh, he's there in the middle with the sword. Uh, he just really looks like a bad guy. You know, just to give you some context, uh, this is a picture of Herod from Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, he just doesn't look good, right? Uh, he's a, the 70s, man. That was interesting. So we have King Herod. King Herod was this, this, this bad guy who has established this fear and that everyone who knew him, 
Everyone who knew him would quake in his fear. But what about the people who didn't know him? That's where these magi get introduced. Uh, We read uh, the story of uh, the birth of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew, and the Gospel of Matthew uses this term magi to refer to people who came and to visit Jesus. And and if you're thinking about the Christmas story in your own head, um, as you think about the people who visited Jesus, uh, we we use some different terms over and over again. Um, You know, these magi were really just Gentile astrologers. Um, They were not Jewish. Um, Scripture says they were from the East, um, somewhere maybe in Arabia or modern-day um, Syria or Turkey. Um, they were Gentile, and they were astrologers. They were people who had been watching the stars. That's how they made their living, actually watching the stars and trying to predict the future of what was going to come. This is who they were. And again, as we think about that Christmas story in our own head, if we were asked to just give a, a recounting of it, we might not use the term magi. right? Maybe the, one of the terms that we would use is wise men. Right, the three wise men, and, and that comes from the Old Testament. Like the Old Testament constantly talks about wisdom, especially in the book of Proverbs, and in Deuteronomy it actually talks about you know, wise people and what those do for um, a country. And so many times we use this term uh, wise men, we translate magi into wise men, um, but it doesn't necessarily fit. And another term that we might use are the three kings, right? We don't know that there were just three people um, there were three gifts, and so we assume there are three people, but that is, doesn't what Scripture tells us. And um, we also assume they're kings. Um, this comes from uh, the prophet Isaiah, who predicts that royalty will come and bow down before um, the Messiah, the anointed one, uh, the one we know as Jesus Christ. And so we might think it was these wise men or these three kings, but in the Gospel of Matthew, who uses this term magi? You know, I think many times we try to normalize this story. We try to normalize, you know, the birth of Jesus Christ and make it something kind of predictable. But the truth is there was nothing normal about this story. These magi come, these Gentile astrologers, these, these star watchers, these people who had, didn't even know the Old Testament, these are the ones who came and visited Jesus Christ. That God, the creator of the entire universe, the one who spoke the world into motion chose to come in human form, and he came in Jesus Christ. He came in Jesus Christ, and the first ones to pay him homage, the first ones to give him the proper honor and respect were these Gentile astrologers, these, these star watchers, the, these people who didn't even know the prophets, didn't even know who he was, but felt called to be there at that moment, and they showed up. I wonder if God did it again. If God chose to come in human form again, who would be the first ones to pay him respect? Would it be you or I? Or would it be someone completely other? That's who it was in the time of Jesus, these other people, these outsiders, these star watchers. We read about it in the Gospel of Matthew, and he says that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the territory of Judea, during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east of Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Right? We know that Herod has been appointed king of the Jews by the Roman Senate. 
Right? We know that, that his title is King of the Jews, and the Magi come and they ask, where is the newborn King of the Jews? Where is the new one? And they said, we've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. And when King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. Herod was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. I've been thinking a little bit about about this passage in particular and and trying to figure out how to compare that. Um, And uh, and I kind of compared it to my friend Mitch. Um, When I was growing up, I had a friend who lived down the street, and his name was Mitch. And and maybe you had this kind of friend. It it was, you know, your really good buddy, uh, but it was the parents your friend didn't necessarily like. Did you have that? You have that friend? Um, If you didn't, it was you. But... um, yeah, that was my friend Mitch. You know, he and I were good friends, and you know, uh, he kind of got into some trouble every once in a while. You know, and talked me into doing things I really shouldn't do. But you know, that was that was my friend, and 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 there would always be this moment, right? Maybe my friend had come over to spend the night, and uh, and there would always be like, finally, you know, we'd always want to stay up later than my parents would want us to, and so finally, it would be this like stern talking to, right? You know, my parents would be like, "This is it. You know, it's time to go to bed." And I, being a child of my parents, can read those nonverbal cues, right? I, I, I know I can read the room with my parents. I, I know how to react. And so when my parents finally laid down the law and were like, this is it, it is time, I could read the room. Mitch could not, right? And so Mitch would inevitably say something, right? He would inevitably just kind of respond back or, or give some kind of short little quippy, you know, like, yeah, whatever, and I knew it was on, right? It was like that, that silence. And, and, and I knew what my parents were feeling. And they maybe knew a little bit of how I was feeling. But Mitch had no idea. That's what happened in the passage, right? These magi come to Herod. The, these outsiders, these Gentile astrologers come to Herod and they say, where is the newborn king of the Jews? And everyone is troubled with Herod. Everyone, because they know what they've just said. Herod, your time is up. It is over for you. This pattern of fear and competition are done. But they didn't know it. So Herod starts to become troubled and everyone else becomes troubled with him. Here's something that we learn from this passage is that anxiety comes from the top. Maybe uh, you own a business or have worked for a business where, you know, the person in charge is acting really nervous and anxious and unsure, and that really doesn't instill a lot of confidence in you, right? And, and so you start to become unsure and anxious and nervous and all those different things. That anxiety comes from the top. Or maybe you can liken this to your own family. That maybe as you're working towards Christmas and, and you're getting more stressed and more worked and more anxious and all these different things, our children, our family is going to know that. They're going to sense it. And we're going to pass that on to them. That all of this comes from the top. So these magi come to Herod. They ask him, where the newborn king of the Jews is, and, and Herod kind of panics at this moment, right? Because he's king of the Jews, um, and, and he doesn't know about this newborn one, 
right? And so he gathers all the chief priests and legal experts and asks them where the Christ child was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. So, so Herod gathers chief priests and legal experts around him, and he asks them, if, if there was going to be a Messiah born, where would he be born? And they read from Isaiah, and say they, he would be born in Bethlehem, for it says this. And then Herod begins to make a plan. And, and this is not just like a, a logical kind of, you know, well-thought-out plan. This is a panicked, fearful plan. He's going to send the Magi on. He's going to tell them, here's where he is. Once you find him, let me know. Once you find him, let me know, because Herod plans to go back and kill him. Although he tells the Magi, I want to pay him honor and respect. We learn later that the Magi don't. But they're warned by an angel not to tell Herod. And so when Herod doesn't receive word, he starts killing every firstborn male Jew. All out of this fear, all of this, out of this pattern of competition. And I imagine that in this moment, as he gathers these chief priests and legal experts around him, he starts to make this plan. Right? And they start to share back and forth with him and, and really start to maybe even agree with him. Because the truth is, we can always find someone else who will agree with us. We can always find someone else or something else that will agree with us. Amen? Amen? We, we've seen enough stuff on Facebook to know that you can find just about any information out there you want to create. Right? We've seen this happen. We know that we can find someone or something else that will agree with us. But friends, that's not going to make us better Christians. In fact, what would make us better is if we gathered people around us with whom we maybe didn't agree on everything. Scripture says that as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. You don't do that just from agreeing with one another, but actually sharpening one another, challenging one another to be better and even more perfect Christians. That's what we're called to do. Because if left to our own devices, we'll be like Herod. And we'll destroy ourselves. So the scripture continues in the Gospel of Matthew. And Herod secretly calls from the Magi, and he finds out from the time the star had first appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you've found him, report to me, so that I too may go and pay him honor. And when they heard the king, they went and looked. The star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with what? Joy. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. But Herod felt something else. Herod saw this star this symbol that God had come in human form, this symbol that God was now here, that God will save humanity. Herod saw this symbol, and he feared it. That Herod had a pattern of fear, and so he feared the star. 
It's what he had spent his entire life practicing for, right? He had spent his life creating and digging into this pattern and becoming more and more ingrained into this pattern of fear and competition so that when the star had come, he viewed it as competition. When he had realized that Jesus had come, God had come to be king of the Jews, that when he had realized that, that God had come in himself, he saw himself in competition with God. He saw himself in competition with God, and so he feared the star. But the Magi had spent their entire life looking at the stars. And that would naturally create wonder in us. These Magi had a pattern of wonder. And so they wondered at the star. They saw God's beauty for what it was. They had seen God reveal God's self. We as Christians call this revelation. That, that when God would show up, when God shows God's self to us, we call it revelation. And we believe it happens in, in mainly two different ways. One of them is called general revelation. We believe this is that, the fact that God can be found in nature, in the created world. That we believe that God has revealed God's self to us in nature. That God created everything. Right? God created the entire world. And so anytime we look out at creation, we can see the Creator. That if you've ever seen just a, a, a beautiful sunset or sunrise, if you've ever just laid down and looked at the stars, you can in that moment know that, that God is present. There is something holy happening in those moments. That God is revealing God's self to you. And we believe that God is always doing that. We, as Methodists, believe in grace. And one of the ways we believe God shows us God's grace, God's love for us that we did not earn, one of the ways God shows us that is in what we call prevenient grace. This grace that comes before. Before we could ever make a decision to accept Jesus Christ, before we could ever affirm God's activity in our life, God was wooing us into relationship with Him. God was beckoning to us, calling us into relationship with Him. And one of the ways God did that is through general revelation. Another way God did that is through what's called special revelation. God revealed God's self to us in Jesus Christ. That was special, it was specific. God said, this is what I meant. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And then once Jesus ascended, God began to work on the hearts and minds of the apostles and later on the writers of the books of the Bible and inspired them so that we might have something that we can point to, saying this is what it is. This is what God meant. This is the kingdom of God brought here on this earth. And we believe that God is constantly revealing God's self to us. God is constantly revealing God's self to us, but we have to stop and notice. Or we'll miss it. That God is constantly sending stars to signify His presence. We just have to break out of our patterns in order to see it. But we have to stop this pattern of Christmas. We have to stop this pattern of anxiety and worry and fret we, we have to stop this, this pattern of toil for nothing. 
Or we'll miss God revealing God's self to us. And so, in your, in your sermon notes, I have just some suggestions, some things that might help break us out of this pattern. And one of the things I would invite you to consider is to plan on giving to the Christmas Eve offering. We'll have four Christmas Eve services this year, and every year during Christmas Eve, we take up an offering. And that offering doesn't go into the general budget, doesn't pay light bills or salaries. That 100% of the Christmas Eve offering goes to mission to actually help share the kingdom of God with this world. And what we are asking this year is that you consider what you are spending on yourself and your family this year for Christmas and that you would add $1 and give it to mission to honor Jesus on his birthday so that we can truly say that we are giving more to the mission of Jesus Christ than we are giving to ourselves. Just, I would invite you just to pray about that, consider that, talk about that with your family. What does that look like? Some of us might say that, you know, I, I can't do everything that I do during Christmas and do that, and, and, and you're right. That we might have to make some sacrifices in our life in order to see this done. And friends, that's what it means to, get break, to break out of this pattern. That's what it means to, to change something, to make this year different. Or else we'll miss it. So I invite you to consider giving to the Christmas Eve offering. Maybe even invite someone else to church. We know that this is the time of year that people who have no faith background or not involved with the faith community, this is the time they start thinking about that. And, and if that's you here, I just want to say that you're welcome here and how glad we are that you are here. Um, this is really a church for new people, and we just want to say welcome. And we know that a lot of our friends and our family at this time who don't have a relationship with the church or even with Jesus Christ are right now thinking about church. And this would be a great time to invite them to say, you know what, we're doing this new sermon series. Would love for you to come with me. I come to this service, you know, I'll meet you at the door. You know, I'll meet you outside or better yet, I'll come pick you up. We can go eat lunch afterwards. Something that would ensure that our friends, our family, our neighbors would feel as comfortable as possible in a new place. And we would invite someone to church to break us out of this pattern, this everydayness, this thing that we keep doing and keep getting it wrong. And finally, I would invite you to consider lighting your Advent wreath candles. When the kids come back from, the, from children's church, they'll bring an Advent wreath. Again, it's um, a wreath with five different candles on it, four for each week uh, of Advent, season of preparation, and one for the Christ candle to be lit on Christmas Eve. Also, what will come back with that is a devotional with just five devotionals, one for every candle. And, and if you can, I would invite you as a family to do that together. Maybe you know, set a time every Sunday evening to, to do this thing together that we can create a new pattern, a new routine that would introduce Jesus Christ back into our lives. And if you haven't, I would invite you to consider praying, maybe even each morning or each evening as we prepare, that, that God would work on us that day, that God would do something, that we would see how God is revealing God's self to us. Friends, we have to break out of this pattern of Christmas because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we're going to miss it.
I'm going to invite you to do something. Um, just, I invite you just to close your eyes. Just, just close your eyes and, and just imagine Christmas Day. Christmas Day, all the presents have already been unwrapped. The paper is lined the floor and is being picked up. The kids are off playing with whatever they received that year. And you begin to reflect back on these last several weeks that have led up to this moment. That you have spent your time, your money, your energy. You've spent all of that on something. What do you feel? Did you spend all of that time, energy, resources? Did you spend it on yourself? Or did you spend it on working to bring the kingdom of God to this place? 